a lot of us are striving to just get out of our own way to allow the experts, the people we've hired and built our teams around uh, and our culture around to just do what they do. And we can't help ourselves from trying to be the smart one in the room or say something or have the answer. But if we just got out of our own way, and I think we know this, that's when magic can happen. That's Brent Perkins, a tenured CEO inducted into the Inc. 5000 in 2022. He spent his career traveling the world, launching new technologies until he was hit with a divorce after 18 years of marriage. And this led him to recognize the grind for what it truly was. So he chose to leave his 20-year career as a CEO and write his first book. Join me as we meet Brent in this in-between space, the space before you truly know what you want to come next. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. Today, I want to explore something that we don't often get the chance to do, which is to talk to somebody who's in the middle of the journey. Often from a marketing perspective, we get somebody, you know, what they were like when they all started. And often we'll get them, you know, what transformation looked like, what success looks like. It's all really easy when you're on the top of the ladder looking back. It's very hard to be open and vulnerable when you're in the middle of that space. So I have this really beautiful gift for you guys today, which is to introduce you to a man called Brent Perkins. And I'm going to read, he has a book that he has released, which is a really beautiful book. And I was quite moved by the intro in the book because it's not the usual intro. And I want to read that to you because we get a little bit of the before and the after. So bear with me and we'll talk to Brent in a second. So he starts. Hi, I'm Brent. I'm a CEO and an entrepreneur, a dad, a friend, a lover, prioritized in that order. I love my kids, my partner, my job, my friends and all other life forms. I left God out for a reason. She's in there, though. Don't you worry. I've underutilized many of my gifts. I've manipulated and hurt a lot of people, messed up a marriage. I didn't prioritize my kids in a way that I wanted to. I've disrespected my friends and other relationships. I've lied a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot. I've been selfish. I've been lazy. I use drugs and alcohol to numb my pain and to hide behind. I am my own worst critic and have treated myself like crap. For most of my life, I never really liked myself, nor have I trusted myself. We're skipping to a new introduction of where Brent is now. I'm me, Brent, a dad, a brother, a friend and a lover in that order. I love myself, my kids and all other life forms in that order. I show up to life in the present moment. I choose to be sober and clear headed so I can experience and feel and remember all of life. I offer my superpowers of being bold, taking risks, entrepreneurship, creative writing, and deeply grounded presence as gifts to share with the world. I love nature. It's my church. 
hiking, biking, backpacking, skiing, you name it. I love playing sports. Pickleball, tennis, basketball, beach volleyball. I love myself first and foremost, finally. I trust myself. I meditate and do breath work to reconnect with myself and God every day. I practice mindfulness as often as my human brain allows. I have a choice and I am creating daily. Welcome, Brent. Wow. What's that like to listen to? <laughs> yeah, I had to close my eyes. No one's ever read that to me before. So, um, whew. It's really powerful, bold, vulnerable, all the things that we spoke about. You, you are really, truly, in our in our intro call, you talked about you're still in overwhelm because you're still figuring it out. Some of this intro feels like you've already arrived, but I think that flows. Does it ebb and flow? How do you describe it? Tell me where you are. Yeah, it's for me. It's been about embracing these seasons of life, and uh, it really is about ebb and flow because we can't predict when the when winter is going to become spring. <laughs> And spring's going to become summer. Uh, sometimes they happen quickly. Sometimes they 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 take a while, and we sit and ruminate in them for 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 longer than we expect. But yes, there's a sense of arrival, and at the same time, sometimes it's overwhelming. Other times, it's it's getting it's learning to be comfortable with surrender and the unknown. And that's a I think that's a lifetime journey. And it's really hard at times. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do when it's really hard? Hmm. Take a lot of deep breaths. Yeah. <laughs> Take a moment. Um, allow the feelings. Don't shove them down. Let them let them bubble up to the surface. Feel them, but move through them. Move through them. Yeah, I spoke to a friend of mine and uh, recently I was nervous about something. And I found myself framing the nervous nervousness of saying, I'm just out of my comfort zone here. And she said, that's not true, Fanola. <laughs> it's my friend Ula. And she's Eastern European and in this really clipped uh, voice. And she's so wise. And she says, this is not true, Fanola. <laughs> and I go, oh, God, she's right again. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, and she said, oh, I said, OK, I'm, I'm afraid. And she said, so what? You're afraid. Just embrace it. Don't push it down because it'll stay with you. You've got to move through it. Otherwise, you you manifest from a um, a space of fear. You can't manifest something positive from fear. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny you say that. Actually, <laughs> there's a uh, there's a, a subsection of the book called um, Comfort Zones versus Fear Zones, and I had this conversation with my dad where he was trying to talk about getting into these comfort zones. I'm like, really sounds like a fear zone, dad. And we really got deep into it, but uh, exactly what you're talking about right there. Tell me about the fear zone. Describe them and tell us about them. Let's talk about them. Yeah, I mean, in the context of the conversation I was having with my dad, which I think really most of us can probably relate to is 
especially as we get older, we think we fall into these like, okay, well, I've always done this or I've learned I don't like this. So I'm starting to do this more. We get into these places where it's like, this is just comfortable. It's easy. And what I heard him describe is he doesn't want to exercise. He wants to continue to drink alcohol every day. He wants to smoke his cigars. He doesn't want to see these type of people. He wants to just watch TV. These are his quote, comfort zones. And to me, it feels like what he's doing is he's got fear of having to potentially stop or change his actions and his behaviors. So it's behavior driven. And his fear zone is he doesn't want to let people in his life that will disrupt that. So he calls it, I only want to invite people in that do what I do because that they're, I'm comfortable with them. And I argued that you're actually just afraid to let somebody else in. It's like, it's like a meth addict not hanging out with other meth addicts. You're afraid to let them in. And does it mean that also, you know, this idea, because I've never heard a phrase like this before, a fear zone. And it's funny because I wrote a post about this today as well. But it's, it's that we're, are we also afraid of possibility? Of course we are. Because it's unknown. And because we might not have control of it. Hmm. You talk a lot about this. <laughs> you wrote this amazing book called Paper Cuts, The Art of Self-Delusion. Actually, let's talk about that first. Why have you called it The Art of Self-Delusion? Yeah. So it hit me as I was as I was thinking through this. Um, Einstein's quote that um, this world is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. And I really started to think through this and kind of debate it with some friends. And it's not that there aren't real objects. This microphone in front of my face isn't real. Our computer screens we're looking at each other at aren't real. But the illusion is our how we interact with it, you know? And as humans, we only have our five senses, you know, our our sight, our smell, our taste, our sound, you know, our hearing and our touch. And if we obviously we each have we we like different foods, we like different perfumes. We like different things, uh, different music, because we our senses are they're not we're not robotic. We all have very different ways that our senses give us information and that how we enjoy things. And yet the environments we're in, this illusion, is giving off a lot of different outputs. And it's just a matter of what inputs we take in and we enjoy. So it's been fun to play with a framework that um, you know, let's say you go go to dinner with somebody and um, partway through that dinner, uh, things get disrupted. They have to take a phone call, come back. Their whole at moods change, and you're like, "Oh, what's going on?" And you end up walking away, going, "Man, that kind of was an asshole at the end." <laughs> well, I don't know what happened, but that was that was not a good dinner. And you walk away, and uh, you run into a friend the next day, and they're like, "Yeah, I was sitting sitting two tables over from you. I didn't want to disrupt you, but I saw what was happening." And you were relating the story that, "Hey." It was, really wasn't a good dinner. And they're like, maybe you didn't see it, but when your friend took that phone call, his brother just died. And it completely shifts your entire viewpoint, your framework of it. And what that means is, is that you walked away from dinner holding a truth. And truths are ours. Truths are, they're a fact with a layer of belief on top, right? Which is why they're, all, they're not universal. They are our truths individually. and. You had a truth and you built a story on it. That was your memory, your past. And then the next day, you were able to completely shift it. 
So if you can hold two truths within 24 hours of each other or five years, I mean, go back and do some work in your life. I, I bet you, you would vote differently for politicians today than you did when you were in your twenties. Um, but the truth was no different for you at that time versus today. Our truths are our delusions. So delusions aren't bad because a delusion is something that's not real, not real to everybody, but real to us. So if we're the, if we can become the artist of our delusions, it means we have choice. That's all it really means. It means we can choose in any moment one of two different things. They're both just as real. They build our life story in the same way. And we hold them as our truths until we don't want to anymore. And we choose differently. It reminds me of you saying you have you had imposter syndrome too. <laughs> yeah. Because that's also a delusion. It is. Tell us about your imposter syndrome, because your second introduction, you don't feel like an imposter at all, or, you know, it's a nice guy mm. I read about in my the second piece, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the imposter syndrome for me is... You know, there's there's people in my life, from my from my ex-wife to my kids to friends to business colleagues... They've seen more of the old me than the new me, <laughs> or who I less the new me, but who I choose to be today. And for them, un, unless and there are some of them who have chosen to <clears throat> embrace change in their life in a way that they can understand it, but for those who haven't yet, it's confusing. And um, while I don't blame them, they you know they've got their opinions and, and feelings. And it's it's really difficult to show up in one way where people like yourself who know me only only how I show up today sometimes look back and go, oh, how is that possible? Well, I'm human. Uh, and to to then be to then write a book and step into what I've what I'm stepping into today, imposter syndrome is lurking around every corner. But it's really just my ego. It's my sol- small self being fearful. I like that phrase, but how is that possible? How is it possible that you're like that then versus how is it possible, you know, versus what you're like now? And I wonder then if the if the uh, the antidote for, I think what you're saying also, the antidote for imposter syndrome is that just to choose a different way, just simply to choose. Not simply, obviously, but sometimes it is. What does it take? What does it take to do that piece? to be able to choose? Well, for me, it started with at least, although I don't even today feel like I'm fully there, um, but starting on this pathway to self-trust and self-love and, and where, what that allows as, as I, as one gets, goes on that, um, that journey and gets to that place in life, it allows us to step into curiosity and, in business, it's one of the biggest lessons I was taught amongst all the like CEO peer groups and mastermind groups I was part of was how to be curious your, your employees. But it's different when you turn that lens on yourself, and it takes a different <laughs> it takes a different <clears throat> energy or perspective to be curious with yourself without being judgmental. Can I ask you two questions just because it's interesting? So the first one is. 
You're taught to be curious about your employees. What do you mean by that? As I uh, was learning on the job and, and, and up-leveling you know, in my CEO career, to build a strong culture, to really um, empower your employees, and, and when you start working on your business and not in your business, it's about being curious, not only with systems and procedures and operations stuff, but also with your employees. That's how you shift your culture. You start asking questions. You understand them more. You try to empower them and give them freedom. That's the only way a CEO can stop doing and allow all those around him and to build the structure so he can step away or she can step away and be strategic and not uh, tactical. So the curiosity is the curiosity in them as humans. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. And so just the second question is, then are, do you, as you say, you turning the lens on yourself? Is it normal? Is it the, the norm for leaders to turn the lens on themselves? I think on the surface level, you know, we look at, although we uh, secretly all hate them, these 360 mm. degree reviews, um, and we look at surface level stuff, but to turn the lens all the way inside. Does it take a trigger, a a moment of, of violence, for lack of a better way of saying it, to make you turn the lens in deep enough? I think that's individualistic. It certainly did for me. You know, it took <clears throat> it took me drinking every day. Um, not eating right, not exercising, going through a divorce, you know, seeing my kids struggle, you know, this kind of culmination of all these pieces. And though I wouldn't call it rock bottom, at least not by society's definition, it was it was pretty close from, you know, it hurt a lot. You told me, you shared a story of guys who would have been in your peer groups, like leaders in this space, of the story of the guy who says, I just made a hundred million dollars, but I just can't stand to be with myself. <laughs> this, this, and you shared also that this is kind of the norm at this level, this, cause this is an old way of doing business. I, yeah. Uh, it's not old you know, actually. <laughs> it, yeah. It's not old. Yeah. And it's, it's not always, but it's way too common. It's way okay. too common. Um, you know, I had another, I have another colleague and and dear friend of mine who um, sold his business, um, you know, made himself made mid eight figures, um, got divorced, lost his father, and um, you know, came right to the edge of suicide. And to watch him go through that, even though he had everything he'd always wanted, sort of, <laughs> um, and to turn to. Um, you know, um, sex and drugs and alcohol and all these pieces to fill in the gaps, even though he had, quote, made it and walked away with the money and had multiple houses and was traveling to every amazing beach in Africa. Um, it didn't mean anything. And all of his self-worth was tied up in something he never closed out with his dad and whatever he was still attached to in his marriage that ended. And who he thought he was in his business that he was no longer part of, he sold out of. Um, and yet he forgot that he was just himself and he never loved him. You're amazing at what you do. 
but it hasn't translated into the success you wished for. You want to make a bigger impact and it's time to do something about it. It's time that your brand, your website and all your messaging speak to that bigger vision you have for your business. So if you're ready to build a business that moves you, moves you professionally, financially and personally, then this is our invitation to design your own success. Design Your Own Success is the ultimate live and in-person program dedicated to businesswomen like you. Say goodbye to endless decision-making and fragmented initiatives that never seem to move the needle far enough. Instead, spend five days in November with us and our winning team at the Brook Lodge in McCredden Village, fast-tracking your success. Design Your Own Success, five days in-person, packed with exactly what you need to take your business to the next level. Find out more at designyourownsuccess.com and register your spot today. This is Fanola and Lucy. And we can't wait to meet you there. I had this experience um, with a mentor of mine. I was doing it. I was part of a group mastermind and I was asked this question, you know, introduce yourself, you know, and it's going, well, I'm an intuitive marketer and I blah, blah, blah. So I said a couple of sentences, but primarily I said those two things. And I laughed because the uh, audience is predominantly American. And so then the American people came on and went, I'm blah, 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 blah. And they were on for ages talking about the fullness <laughs> of what they brought to the table. And I immediately got imposter syndrome. It's all very, you know, the usual. Of, mm-hmm. I should have said, I should have said. But then the exercise was, if you were left with only one of those, what would you pick? Mm. And I went, oh. And I've shared this story with loads of people one to one. And I've said, what do you think I picked? And they all say to me, I bet you picked the intuitive part. And I went, how did you know that? I didn't know that because I'd automatically thought that I would want to be the marketer first and foremost. So it was a revelation to me. So they knew, but I didn't know myself that that's what I would have let go of. And then, of course, the next step is to let go of that too, to become Mm -hmm. I am. Yeah. Yeah. And in. I I actually don't even like getting that question today, even though I I know how I want to answer it. It's still it's still it still is like it makes my chest tighten every time I hear that. But my answer would be um, I try to live bold. Let's talk about that because I like that because <laughs> I know that you framed your business now to be around. And how do you call it? You say three times bold. Three x bold. Three x bold. Yeah. Talk to us about bold. No, don't talk to us about bold yet. One second. I have one other question. You told us the story of your friend, of this friend of yours, 20 year long friendship. And you were excited about your book mm. and you wanted him to read the book. And what did he say? Yeah, so this was this is actually before the book was finished being written. It was in the middle of it. I was I was having dinner with him. Hadn't seen him in forever. And really successful guy, uh, great family. I've known him since college, so over 20 years. And um, as as I was describing to him what uh, the outline and where I was at and my journey to date, you know, he looked at me and he goes, Brent, I, I'm going to read your book because I'm your friend, but I, man, I don't want to. <laughs> I just, it floored me. I just, I, I sat back in the chair. I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? And he goes, 
you know, I like my life. I like my wife. I love my kids. I'm comfortable in my job. I get to golf. It's just easy. And I said, I get that. And he goes, you know, I feel like if I read your book, I might find out that I'm a asshole alcoholic narcissist. And I don't want that. That's that the interesting for well, well, my response to you at the time was probably because perhaps he is, but then also perhaps he isn't. That's the other option as well. But why, like, and this to, to get to a next level and to realize that we have choice, this idea of choosing, actually realizing that you have choice, that's huge. But this idea of why don't people look? Why, why do you not, why do they not want to read that book? Why do they not want to go in? And you said, because they're scared. And I said, well, what are they scared of? You, you know, there's books out there actually called The Work. Yeah. <laughs> because going on this journey and doing this, it's work. Yeah. Um, I had a friend of mine who, um, He's done quite a bit of work, but he's never done any sort of like real inner journey work, whether that's through, um, for him, it was plant medicine he'd never done before. Other people, I mean, breath work and there's, there's other ways that don't require some sort of, um, medicine or drug to get there. But, um, for him, he really wanted to finally do some psilocybin, especially with all the the studies and whatnot that have been done here in the U.S. and um, other countries. So I helped lead him through a, a a journey on that, and he came through and he's like, "I had no idea until now the amount of work that now lays ahead of me if I'm mm. going to use this in the most positive way." He's like, "I." I feel like I have to take a two-week vacation just to start doing this work. Like there's so much self-exploration. Now that I understand that I can be curious, I can open these doors, I can start to look at my life differently. I have to restructure things mentally so I can show up differently. And that takes work. It takes work to unwind who we think we are because we've told everybody that's who we are. And, it fe- and it's actually easy, but it feels like so hard. I've got to go tell everybody in my life that that's not who I am anymore. <laughs> it's like, you don't, you just got to show up and be different, but it feels that way. But when you say that like that, I think that would scare the living hell out of everybody. Hmm. Why would you? Hmm. Because you can sleep at night and you can look in the mirror and smile and you don't need to fall asleep with a glass of whiskey or, or wine. And you can actually show up not only present for yourself, but for everybody in your life. And for me, when I started doing that for my family is when <laughs> it's like, this is all worth it. Like mm-hmm. things came out, conversations happened. Trust was built in ways that I just was never able to do it before. Here's a tacky question for you, <laughs> because I'm thinking of our listeners, because sometimes this kind of work seems like a luxury. It's like, so my question is, but can you be successful? Can you be more successful if you do this work? I think it's impossible not to be. <clears throat> Say more. You know, if we, if we talk about 
that's related to business specifically. We all know, I, th- I believe we all know this, those of us that are in um, you know, management or C-suite level positions. We all know that we can't actually do more work or do a, a better job at doing and improve anything in our company. It's really about getting out of our own way. And then a lot of us are striving to just get out of our own way to allow the experts, the people we've hired and built our teams around uh, and our culture around to just do what they do. And we can't help ourselves from trying to be the smart one in the room or say something or have the answer. But if we just got out of our own way, and I think we know this, <laughs> that's when magic can happen. And when we do this work, we get so comfortable with who we are. We don't need validation. We don't need to prove we're right. We don't need to show we're the smartest person in the room. None of that's needed anymore. It allows us to step back and be a fly on the wall. One that's comforting and holding space and, and, and making sure whoever's in that room feels good to be on stage and, and step into their genius. But it allows us to be comfortable. We don't even have to say a word. There was a, a recent thing went out in social media uh, about some guy. I think he was doing, a, I can't remember who was doing a talk to Northwestern University. And it was the kindest person in the room is always the smartest. Hmm. And kind of interesting. I think, how do we help people to treat this seriously because it seems, as I said, that it's, I can do this later or this is a luxury piece. I've got to make money now. I have a small business perhaps and I can't afford to do this stuff if I want to grow my business. I've got to, how do we help those people? Yeah, it's, I mean, part of it's a shift away from that money is the most important piece. I, I mean, there's countless stories. In fact, I would argue the vast majority of stories out there, people we know, retired too late, never got to take the vacations they, quote, worked their whole lives for, you know, sacrificed relationships with friends, family, kids, you know, significant others along the way. Uh, I think this is not from me. Um, I don't know who said this originally, but um, you know, often, and I felt the same way. It's like, well, why am I doing this? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm working these extra hours. I'm, I'm making this money, you know, for my family. I'm doing it for them. And it's like, well, did you sit down and ask them if they wanted you to do that for them in this way? And the answer almost always from any of us is, well, I know I just assumed. I mean, you sit down with your kids or your spouse or your partner. And you ask them, hey, I'm going to work 80 hours a week. I'm not going to see you. I'm not going to be present very often. You're probably not going to like me. I'm going to be grumpy a lot. And uh, I'm going to take a lot of phone calls in the middle of the night when I should be focused on you. Are you good with that? I mean, try saying that when you're dating somebody. They're going to be like, yeah, no, I'm out. No, thanks. <laughs> Let me share with you a block I see. Um, a lot of women that I work with in business can often have uh, a block with money. So mm. rationally, and because women are brought to be, and we talked about a little bit of this the other day, are taught that they're natural nurturers, that they, 
yeah, that they're natural nurturers. And there is this distinct feeling of, and I've heard it loads of times, but I really want to help these people. I shouldn't charge for that. So they know, they know that this idea and they fully embrace this idea that money isn't everything. You don't have to educate them on that concept. But there is, and there is a lot of books outside of outside that talk about um, money in this perspective and that if you have more money, you can reach more people. But something doesn't quite land. There's something in the middle here that hasn't clicked. For me, as I go through that piece myself um, in where I am constructing the future of my life, it's it's tied to self-worth. And it may or may not be that answer for everybody, but I, I believe deep down when we know our value, when we love and trust ourselves fully, hmm. we're not willing to give a piece of us away for less than the full value of what it can be. And it doesn't mean that we aren't there for other people. And that's something I'm wrestling with. If you look at the dedication of my book, I dedicated the book to myself. And then I said, you know, I'm doing this because it's the work that I can do. It's the only work I can do. And if basically if I'm modeling that and somebody else sees that, hey, I can do that work for myself, I've given no better gift to the world. Yeah. Talk to me about being bold. Hmm. Being bold is, <laughs> is definitely tr- tied to getting to a place where we trust ourselves enough that we can show up, you know, um, naked, not, not physically naked, but <laughs> uh, vulnerable and just ourselves. And we aren't dancing for society or uh, other people or or in, in a way that that is necessarily um, expected of us but we're showing up in an honest and truthful way we're able to go deep we're able to see people we are able to be confident in that um yeah i'm going to close my eyes and and actually hear you for a minute and a- answer um in a way that's mindful, that is really taking into consideration everything I'm hearing and seeing, not just you know what I think is wittier or funny or smart. Um, it's it's knowing that I I'm not gonna have that second drink because the first one tasted great and it was fun to be social, and I don't need the second one because it's gonna make me not feel good the rest of the night. And I don't need to justify to you why I'm not doing it. Or I don't need to tell you. I'm just not going to – I'm going to feel great about choosing something different. Or that goes for the food we're eating. Or that goes for, you know, the vacations we go on or how we show up and hold, you know, hold space for people. It's it's showing up in the way that we know is the healthiest for us and not judging, not pushing it on other people because for them it's totally different and it doesn't need to be like like who we are and how we're showing up. We're just doing what is necessary for us and and hoping other people do what's necessary for them and then it's all beautiful and we don't have to judge each other or 
try to shove it down other people's throats. It's just, it just is. And that's what showing up bold looks like. Hmm. What's the response that you're getting when you speak like this? Hmm. You know, sometimes I get, uh, some snarky remarks uh, and, and pushback because of it, it's, it's fear and I can quickly dismantle that or, or get down to that with people. Um, otherwise it's, it's a lot of silence because I think it, it lands as, as truth as, or it feels like truth to a lot of people. And yet they know it's not necessarily the way they show up to life. <laughs> so the, the, the big question is, well, what's the next step? Mm. Yes. Yeah. What's the next step? <laughs> I think that there is an enormous amount of trust here that has to happen. Trust in that to take this bold step, it's not just about being bold. The counterpoint or hand in hand must come with trust. And it's this lovely phrase that I came across several years ago, which is, and I always equate it with kind of leveling up and things like that, because there's moments, there's moments in between the step from where you are or were to the next more fully fledged version of yourself. And there's the tricky piece is the piece in the, in the middle of that, the journey, the bridge between the two versions of yourself, in my experience. And that, in, for me, is always this phrase, the empty-handed leap into the void. Mm. Does that resonate with you? It does. It does. So uh, while I am not about um, prescriptions and like a, you know, do one, two, and three or X, Y, and Z, and you're going to be perfect. I, I don't believe in that. Um, but there are, are some frameworks. And the framework I've put around how to show up bold is uh, I believe we need to shag S H A G. That has a different connotation in this country. <laughs> By design, okay. Double entendres okay. are fun, um, <laughs> okay, and it makes people it. laugh, which is, yeah. by the way, um, one of the best parts about being human is laughing, right? Yeah. So, um, and yes, you know, we need to we need to embrace who we are, you know our sensuality, our sexuality, and enjoy that piece of life. So yes, absolutely, we should shag, but that's not what where I'm going with this. Um, the okay. first, the first, the S is to show up and surrender. And I think that's what you're speaking to, which is how do we be present, which is showing up, but without expectations or assumptions, in, in your words, empty-handed. Hmm. Um, and that is, you know, in my in my work, the first step to being bold. Yeah. Mm. Are you going to tell us the other steps? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> H is holding space and end boundaries. So that means the first part is, is showing up in a way where you're not constantly just outputting on other people. You're not vomiting all over them about who you are and what you know. And just hold space for them. Allow them to be. And at the same time, hold boundaries. Don't let people mm. step on you or cross something that's going to violate you putting yourself first, right? So holding space mm -hmm. and boundaries. The A is ask and receive. 
I think this step is particularly tough for men, but it's sometimes hard for all humans, especially those that are givers, um, uh, to not only ask, but to receive. And Why I mean, is it tough for men? <clears throat> because in general, and I'm general, I am generalizing here, the masculine um, feels like it needs to be a provider. Yeah. And there's some areas where receiving is really easy for men, and I don't need to, to tell you what those look like, <laughs> but in a lot of areas of Same life- Same team. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of areas of life, particularly around money and other pieces, it's tough for men to receive, right? Mm. And, and this, I don't want to minimize this because, you know, I would say more women are are nurturers and givers than men. And for them, it's sometimes hard for them to receive that piece too. It's easy to give and to want to make other people feel good. But somebody framed this for me really well. And they said, you know, close your eyes and just think of that feeling when you're able to give somebody not necessarily a gift because that's just something money buys, but like give them something they were missing or you fix something in their home for them or you did something that they're like, oh my gosh, and their heart just melts. Like, what does that feel to you as the giver, right? Like, feel that feeling. And now every time you choose not to receive, you're stealing that from the other person. Mm. Why would you not want them to feel that same way? Like, get, even if you don't want what they're giving you, allow them to feel what you know is so beautiful about being able to give. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> the last one is to give gratuitously. What does that mean? What do you mean by just all the time? Gratuitously? No, gratuitously means above and beyond where, where your fear would normally stop you. You know, if you're staying within your boundaries and you're respecting yourself first, Give over the top. I don't mean just tipping somebody, which is an American thing. I, I realize that. But um, your time, your love, your energy, if you have it, and please make sure you have it first. You have to have it for yourself. But give it back. Give it away gratuitously. What's the difference between that and the and the trap of of over-delivering all the time at the expense of self? Yeah, well, that's why it's the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you haven't done yeah. the other three first, then you won't understand what that means. And it's easy to get caught in that. That's the easy one in, in some ways. It, on the surface level, it's very easy to, I mean, when you give of yourself and your time and your energy, it's actually not easy to go below the surface and give a piece of who we are again when we have it. You know? Yeah. That's what we forget. We can't we can't give what we don't have and you know that's where we get caught in this this cycle of but I'm I I'm always taking care of other people. I'm just giving to them. Oh, but I made them feel good, but we forget us. <laughs> if your tank's empty, you know, if you see somebody on the street who needs money and you don't have anything in your pocket, you can't give them money. Mm. It's the same thing with love. It's the same thing with everything in our life. We have to have a full tank to be able to share any of it. Mm. What would you like people to walk away with today? I I hope this conversation, um, the book I've written, that it gives people permission. Permission to be curious with themselves. Because 
what that looks like, the journey, the next step, it's really individualistic. Um, but you won't know what direction to take it until you allow for possibilities, allow for things to be different in your life, to peel away the labels you have on who you are and what you do and what defines you. Get curious. I love it. Thank you so much, Brent. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Brent, check him out on LinkedIn or on his website at www.3xbold.com. And if you'd like to support the show, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and reach out and let me know your takeaways from this episode. What would you like to know more about? Send me a message.